0: You got to be responsible for your feelings, okay? So it's, it's a simple little tool called I statements. I, the letter I, I statements, okay? And it's just a little tweak in your communication is going to make a big difference, I promise you. It, it looks something like this. I This is the way you should communicate. I feel this or blank when you do this blank, and it makes me feel blank, you see it? So I'm going to give you a couple examples. Here's the first one. Here's the regular way you would say it if somebody is always late. And you, some of you might relate to this. You might have said this actual statement yourself. I, for me, I know I have. You make me angry because you're always late. You ever said that? You are always late and it makes me mad. How'd that go? <laughs> Probably not well. Right? What were you trying to do? You were trying to express to them that when you're late, I get angry. But what you did was, is you pointed a finger at them with that statement, and you accused them of making you angry. Which in turn puts them in a defensive position where they got to go, hold up a second. You're trying to put your feelings on them. You got to be responsible for your own feelings. A better way to say it would be this. I feel frustrated when you come home late because I stay awake worrying. Doesn't feel so accusing, does it? It doesn't feel like you're throwing some accusations at me. I feel frustrated when you come home late because I stay up worrying about you. What's the goal here? The goal for the one person is to express to the person that's always late, I really need you to start being on time because I feel certain ways when you're late, I tend to worry about you. Now, being a dude, I would, I would respond to that, well, just quit worrying. That doesn't go well either. <laughs> Amen. Let me give you another one. This is for the person that never calls you. A regular way to say it was, you never call. You don't even care. Does that feel kind of like I'm pointing my finger at you? I'm throwing some accusations. You don't care. A better way to say it is, I feel hurt when you forget to call because it seems like you don't care. What are we doing? We're trying to communicate something to another person right? And the goal is to get them to understand, right? But if you come with your finger out of its holster and you're pointing it in their face, they're not going to understand. Does this make sense? Does this help? A simple I statement. You're not as excited about it as I thought you was going to be, but that's okay. It's going to revolutionize your life. I would have been taking notes on that by the way. So today we're talking about Broken trust. How many of you would say that trust is a big deal? Raise your hand if trust is really important to you. My wife and I do a lot of pre-marriage counseling. We use a a, a group called Simbus and do these, these assessments of people. And in there, there's this section where it talks about the biggest, the, your top 10 uh, things in your life. And in most times, trust is in the top three for both the, the woman and the man. Trust is a big deal. Trust is the foundation Of relationships, your relationships are no stronger than the amount of trust that you have in them. Can you be in a good relationship with somebody you don't trust? Why? Because you always got one eye on them, (laughs) right? (laughs) So if this is true, how do we rebuild trust that's been broken? How do we rebuild it? Well, Henry Cloud said this. He said, trust is like a brick wall. It must be constructed brick by brick by brick if it is breached and comes crashing down it has to be rebuilt brick by brick by brick you see when you're the person that broke the trust you want the trust to be restored quickly come on somebody let's get real this morning you want them to hurry up and forgive you and forget everything that you did so that we can go back to where we were before i messed up let's just get real That's the truth. That's just true for me. When I mess up with my wife, I go, hey, can can you just wash this away? You know, Jesus washed it under the blood. Can you wash this away? Can we be right again? Can we get a little huggy, huggy, smoochy, smoochy? And she's like, "Uh uh-uh. And I'm like, well, you ain't forgiving me. No, I forgive you. I just don't like you right now. I don't trust you, right? Because when you're the person that the trust has been broken on, it's going to go brick by brick by brick. Don't tell me you love me. Show, you, show me you love me, right? Don't say it. Words don't mean anything right now. Show me a brick, then give me another brick. Is this making sense? So th- this morning, we're talking about broken trust. And today, I want to show you from the story of Joseph in the Old Testament, how trust can be rebuilt. This is a fabulous story so glad the Lord led me to this story. It's it's found in Genesis chapter 37, and it expands from chapter 37 on to uh, right at 50, and it's the whole story of Joseph, and how many of you would say, I know the story of Joseph? I've heard it at least once. Raise your hand real quick. Okay, good. So it's the story of Joseph, so we pick it up in Genesis chapter 37. I'm not going to read all these chapters, and you're going to say, thank God. Um, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you the Reader's Digest version real quick. Joseph was basically, in chapter 37, Joseph was 17 years old. He was the second to last son born to Jacob. Joseph was the first son of Jacob's wife, Rachel, who was his, his first choice at wife. And, and Joseph was 17 years old, and his father loved him so much because at 17, Joseph had so much character and integrity that his father had a coat made for him. The Bible says it was a coat. Some say it was of many colors, but when you simplify it, it was a very nice coat. His father had him a very nice coat made. In fact, it's, it's the kind of coat a prince would wear. The coat actually made a declaration to everybody in those days. When you wore a coat like that, it meant that somebody trusted you. It meant that somebody put their trust in you. And so what happened was is that Jacob loved Joseph so much and he trusted him so much that he identified him by putting a coat on him that declared to everybody else, this is the one that I trust. You seeing it? So Jacob loved his son Joseph more, the Bible says, than any of his other children. Now, how many of you know that's the perfect recipe for jealousy? (laughs) Come on, you've been involved in that. Jealousy. So basically what happens is, is Joseph's brothers don't like him. The Bible, in fact, goes to the point to say that they couldn't say one kind word to him. And you need to remember that because we're going to address that at the end of the message. They couldn't say one kind word to Joseph. They hated his guts. Jacob would often send Joseph to go check on his brothers and come back and give him a report of how they were doing. (laughs) Can you say double trouble? (laughs) Not only was he the favorite, he was the tattletale. (laughs) Right. I wouldn't, I don't know if I would have like the brother. I mean, anyway, so Joseph, 17 years old, his brothers are away. His father says, go check on them. He goes, he finds them. And as he's walking up to him, the brothers hate him so much. They said, we just need to kill this little punk. Let's kill him. Let's take him out. I'm sick of seeing him walking around with his, his silly little coat. And, and before this, Joseph had had a dream from God. And the dream said that his brothers were going to bow down to him one day. And then the next day, he had another dream, and that dream said his father and his brothers and the whole household is going to bow down to him one day. Now, he messed up when he told everybody what his dream was. <laughs> Come on, he should have kept that quiet. <laughs> and when he did, it just, it just increased the jealousy. So he's coming up to him. And they said, let's kill him. Let's be done with this. Let's take this pretty little coat of his, dip it in blood, and tell our father that a wild animal killed him. The older brother says, you know what? No, let's not, let's not put this blood on our hands. Let's just throw him in a pit and leave him here. And that way we don't have any blood on our hands. And they said, okay, all right, that sounds good. So the plan was to throw him in the pit. The older brother's plan was to come around later and rescue him from the pit because he really didn't want to kill him. So they take Joseph, throw him, rip off his, his pretty little coat, throw him in the pit. And the Bible says that some traitors were coming by on their way to Egypt. And one of the brothers says, hey. Let's sell him. And they do. They sell him to the traders. And so the traders take him and he ends up in Egypt at a man named Potiphar's house. Potiphar paid or bid a price and and won or paid for Joseph to become his slave. So think about his journey already. He's his father's favorite. He gets thrown in a pit by his brothers, sold into slavery, And now he's in Egypt, a land that's not even his, and he's a slave to a guy named Potiphar who happens to be the captain of the palace guard. Wow. Now let's back the story up for a second because the father has something in this story, too. Jacobs involved. They actually go home and they tell Jacob what happened. And the Bible says that Jacob tears his clothes and he puts on burlap. And he begins to wail and mourn and grieve the loss of his son. This is at the end of chapter 37. And Jacob actually makes this statement. And you're going to need to remember this because we'll come back to it at the end of the message. Jacob makes this statement. He says, because he was weeping and wailing and mourning. And they tried to comfort him, but they could not comfort him. And every time they tried to comfort him, he would make this statement. I will go to my grave mourning the loss of my son. Now think about that statement for a minute. I will go to my grave mourning the loss of my son. In other words, I quit living today. Think about that. You know how it is when trust is broken, when you get hurt, when you get wounded. The temptation is to make these statements, right? You make these statements out of your feelings. And sometimes you wish you never would have made those statements. Come on, am I in the right church this morning? You wish you could I wish I could take that back. But Jacob said, I will go to my grave mourning the loss of my son. So he stopped living. Pick the story back up with Joseph. He's in Potiphar's house, and it's pretty amazing because God was with him the whole time. You see, you can't ever let the enemy convince you that just because you've been thrown in a pit and sold in the slavery, that God's not with you. God's in the pit. God's in the slavery. He's with you. He is a slave in this moment. And watch this. The Bible says that Potiphar could tell that God was with Joseph because everything that he touched became successful. Everything that he set his hand to succeeded. And Potiphar recognized that God was with this boy, and Potiphar eventually puts him over his whole household. Everything except his wife. There's only one thing that he has no charge over, and it's Potiphar's wife. Wow. Wow. Betrayed by his brothers, thrown in a pit, sold to slavery, ends up in Potiphar's house, and now he's running the whole show. But then all of a sudden, Potiphar's wife begins to lust after him. He was 17, 18 years old, good-looking boy. Come on, somebody. And the older woman, she he caught her eye. And the Bible says that she went after him and she kept pursuing him and making passes at him. And finally, the the Bible says that he takes off running from her and she grabs his shirt and rips his shirt off of him. And then she flips the story on him, runs outside screaming, claiming that he tried to rape her. Betrayed by his brothers, thrown in a pit, sold into slavery, falsely accused of rape. Potiphar comes back, he hears about what happened, he's furious, throws him in prison. Add prison to the list. How many of you would say right now, just if we just stopped right now in this story, you would have a good excuse to be angry. You'd have a good excuse not to trust anybody anymore. You would have a good excuse to become bitter. Right? Thrown into prison. The Bible says quickly. The prison guard recognizes that God is with Joseph and everything he does succeeds. And he quickly becomes the the, the head guy over the whole prison. Now, what's crazy about this story is that every time he gets thrown down, God elevates him back up. And what I find amazing is that he was thrown into a pit and sold into slavery. And the whole time he thinks life is getting worse, God's positioned him closer to his destination. Are you seeing this? So Joseph ends up in prison, and his two cellmates are a cupbearer and a baker. They both served at Pharaoh's house, and and they were both thrown into prison for various reasons. and 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 in a matter of two days, they both had a dream. And the cupbearer had a dream, and the, the the baker had a dream. The baker told Joseph his dream, and God gave Joseph the interpretation for the dream. And Joseph basically told the baker, listen, bro, you about to die. <laughs> it was basically that. <laughs> you ain't making it out of here, cuz. And sure enough, that's what happened. But then the cupbearer said, hey, man, I had a dream. Told him the dream, and he says, listen, shortly, Pharaoh's going to restore you back to your position as his cupbearer. Now, a cupbearer is a person that is, is he's, he's closely related to the king because he has to drink the wine before the king does to make sure that it's not poisonous and that it tastes as good as the king's expecting it to taste. Right? So imagine if if the king dies, everybody looking at the cupbearer. Say big responsibility. (laughs) I mean, I'm glad I get to drink wine all day, but bro, (laughs) this is a little too heavy. (laughs) Anyway. uh, So the cupbearer, he he tells the cupbearer, he interprets the dream. He says, listen, shortly you're going to be restored to your position with Pharaoh. And then he asks for something. He says, but listen... I, I, I want to make this request. When you get back with Pharaoh and things start to go well for you, please remember me and tell Pharaoh about me so he might let me out of this place. And the Bible says that three days later, the cupbearer was restored to the, to, the, to the house of Pharaoh. And almost the next sentence, the Bible says, then two years later. I mean, come on. Betrayed by your brothers, thrown in a pit, sold into slavery, bought into slavery, falsely accused of rape, thrown into prison, over the prison guard, interpret somebody's dream, please remember me, and two years later. Wow. I imagine during those two years, Joseph went through a whole lot internally. I would imagine there was some anger inside of him. I would imagine there was some bitterness inside of him. I would imagine he questioned God more than once. I would imagine he was probably mad at God. Come on, let's just get real this morning. I would imagine that's that's what he went through for two years. And the Bible says that that Pharaoh one day, after these two years, Pharaoh has a dream. And the cupbearer is standing next to him and nobody else can interpret Pharaoh's dream. And the cupbearer bearer, the Bible says, remembers all of a sudden. All of a sudden he remembers, wait, there's a guy in prison. <laughs> he interpreted my dream. Maybe he can interpret yours. I'm thinking, dang, bro, you couldn't have said that a little bit quicker. But watch this. Who gave the cupbearer the dream? God did. Who gave Joseph the interpretation? God did. Who waited two years to give Pharaoh the dream? God did. Right? Maybe God was in the middle of all this. Maybe God was in the middle of this. They bring Joseph in. Joseph interprets the dream. The Bible says he gives him a clear interpretation of the dream. And then he gives him a plan to bring resolution to the dream the dream was basically this you're going to have 7 years of prosperity and then you're going to have 7 years of a, of, a, of a of a very bad famine and so god gave him a plan a a, a solution to, to to bring the whole uh, uh the whole country or the whole nation of egypt through this famine And so God gives him the solution to the problem. He tells it to Pharaoh. Pharaoh is so impressed by what Joseph says that in a matter of 24 hours, Joseph goes from being a prisoner to becoming the governor of Egypt. Now, don't tell me when God decides to elevate somebody, he can't do it quickly. Within a matter of 24 hours, he goes from a prisoner to a governor. He goes from from shackles to a ring being put on his finger that says to everybody that sees him, this guy's the second in command in all of Egypt. When God decides to elevate somebody, when God decides that it's your day, listen to me, it is your day. And so Joseph leaves the prison, has a place in Pharaoh's house, He's now the governor of all of Egypt, and he's working the plan that God gave him. Just hang with me for a minute. I know I'm giving you a lot, but I want you to hear the whole story. He's working the plan, and it's working. Come on, when God gives you a plan and you stick according to the plan, listen to me. It works. Say it works. It works. God's plan works. He's working the plan. Listen, it's going well for him. They're stacking up, storing up, saving up stuff for the seven years of, of, of plenty, getting ready for the seven years of famine. It's working well. Everybody's looking at Joseph going, that dude's the man. He wasn't nothing but a zero. God made him a hero. Come on, somebody. He, he's, he's working God's plan, and he's getting all the credit for it. Come on. You know God's good to us, right? He'll let you work his plan, and they take a little bit of glory for it. And he's just doing his thing. Come on, some of you have seen this before in your life. God's anointed you and he appointed you to do the thing that you're doing, and you're working your plan and you're doing it, man. And you kind of forget where you came from. And you kind of forget about your scars and your wounds and your pain from your past. But I want you to hear something this morning. You can run, you can run fast, and you can run hard, but you can't run long enough to run away from your pain. You can't run long enough to run away from the things that have happened to you. Because in everybody's life, there comes a quiet time. There comes a time where you end up by yourself and you're left alone to your own thoughts. And I promise you this, every moment he was left alone to his own thoughts, he remembered being thrown in the pit with his brothers. He remembers watching them exchange the money for him as he's getting shackles put on him. He remembers the moment where Pharaoh's wife Falsely accuses him of rape. He remembers the two years that the, the cupbearer forgot about him, that he's set in the prison, feeling like he was just wasting away. You can run hard, you can run fast, but you cannot run your pain. You will have to deal with your pain one day. Amen. Everything's going well. he 's rocking and rolling. The Bible says the famine hits. He's sitting back thinking, man, this is good. We got plenty enough to last for seven years. Praise God. And then all of a sudden his past shows up. The Bible says his brothers show up. They're hungry. They're desperate. They're in need. And Joseph has what they need. And in this moment of glory, He's faced with his past and he's standing there looking at the very guys who sold him, who hated his guts. The Bible says it was a very emotional time for him. He didn't know how to handle it. He was all over the place emotionally. One time he just had to walk out and just go go in the closet and cry because he couldn't handle everything that was going on around him. Because listen to me, when you face, when you finally decide to face your pain, it's going to be emotional it's going to wreck you up a little bit. Amen? And the Bible says that he was a basket case for a little while, but his brothers were there. His brothers didn't recognize him, but he recognized his brothers. And he didn't, he didn't reveal his identity until later on. And so think about this. Everything that he's been through, everything that he's going through, every experience that he had, good, high, bad, ugly, everything, everything that he's been through, he's standing in a moment now where he has to face his past. He has to deal with his broken trust. He has to deal with his offenses. He has to deal with his hurt and his pain. You can run hard, you can run fast, but you cannot run your pain. You will deal with it one day. Are you hearing this this morning? We picked the story up in chapter 45 and Joseph's really emotional. Chapter 45 of Genesis. And I want you to hear this this morning. How you handle your emotions will determine how your relationships are restored. How you handle your emotions will determine how your relationships are restored. Chapter 45, watch this. I'll do a little bit of reading for you. The Bible says they were were actually eating together, Joseph and his brothers. And Joseph had done a couple wacky things up to this point, trying to see if he could trust them. The Bible says Joseph could stand it no longer. There were many people in the room and he said to his attendants, out all of you. So he was alone with his brothers when he told them who he was. Then he broke down and wept, the Bible says. He wept so loudly the Egyptians could hear him and word of it quickly carried to Pharaoh's palace. I'm Joseph, he said to his brothers. Is my father still alive? But his brothers were speechless. They were stunned to realize that Joseph was standing there in front of them. Please come closer, he said to them. So they came closer and he said again, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into slavery in Egypt. But listen, don't be upset and don't be angry with yourselves for selling me to this place. It was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives. He says, this famine's going to be. Massive. It's going to be deadly. And in, verse, in chapter, verse 9, he says, Now hurry back to my father and tell him this is what your son. Joseph says, God has made me master over all, th- all the land in Egypt, so come down to me immediately. You can live in the region of Goshen, where you can, you can be near me with all your children, grandchildren, your flocks, your herds, and everything you own. I will take care of you there, for there are still five years of famine ahead of us, and you're not going to make it. Verse 12, then Joseph added, look, you can see for yourselves, and so, so can my brother Benjamin, that I really am Joseph. Go tell my father of my honored position here in Egypt. Describe for him everything that you have seen and then bring my father here quickly. Watch this. Weeping with joy, he embraced Benjamin and and Benjamin did the same. Then Joseph kissed each of his brothers and wept over them. And after that, they began talking freely with him. see it? Let's back up to chapter 37. Where the Bible says they couldn't say one kind word to Joseph. And now the Bible says that they're weeping and hugging and kissing each other. I know that may sound a little weird to you, some of you, but that's what they did in the old days. There was nothing funny about it. It was, it was okay. <laughs> these, these brothers were kissing each other and weeping over each other. And then the Bible says that they began to talk Freely. Now watch this. When God decides to restore something, it will be better than it originally was. When, in chapter 37, they couldn't say one kind word to him. You fast forward and everything that he went through all the way to chapter 45, he's now weeping over them. They're weeping over him. They're kissing one another. And the Bible says that they're speaking freely to one another. Don't tell me God can't turn anything around. Don't tell me he can't take something that's been broken and put it back together better than it was originally made. Don't tell me that God can't take something that's been dead for years and bring it back to life. Don't tell me that because it's not true. God can restore and redeem anything. Amen. It doesn't matter its condition. It doesn't matter its shape. It doesn't matter how bad it was or how ugly it gets. God can still turn it around. How did God turn it around? How did he turn it around? He turned it around through Joseph. Let's think about what Joseph could have said to his brothers. Oh. You need me now, huh? Boom. I'm Joseph, bruh. Remember me? Pretty coat. Big dreams. Thrown into prison. Come on. Oh, you need me now? You a bunch of sapsuckers? You need me now? Oh, y'all didn't need me then? You threw me in prison? Well, I wasn't no good. And he could have beat them down so hard and so bad that they would have never got up. He could have threw them in prison and gave a good excuse to keep them there. Could have sold them into slavery. Come on, get you someone. You're going to see what slavery feels like for a little while. That's what he could have done. But you see, I believe from chapter 37 to chapter 45, God did a work in Joseph's heart. Was he offended? Yes, he was offended. Was he wounded? Yes, he was wounded. Was he hurt? Yes, he was hurt. Was he done wrong and dirty? Yes, he was done wrong and dirty. But God did a work in his heart. And some people live with pain for so long, because hard work is hard work. And instead of dealing with their heart, instead of dealing with their emotions, instead of dealing with what's going on inside of them, we just kick people to the curb. Hurt me once, shame on you. Hurt me twice, shame on me. And we'll kick people to the curb and we won't let them back in because we don't want to deal with it. Why? Because it hurts too bad. Because hard work is hard work. Amen? Think about this. After all the things that happened to him, sold into slavery, falsely accused, prisoned, forgotten about, only God could know that this day was coming. Only God saw them Greeting each other, weeping over one another, hugging one another, kissing one another. Only God knew that. Joseph didn't know that day was coming. And his brother surely didn't know that day was coming. And that's why he's sovereign. That's why he's God Almighty. Because he knows things that we don't. He knows the end. All we know is the right now and the past. Amen? Trust is when we trust him when we don't understand what we're walking through. Right? Right? Let me give you three quick points and then we're gonna wrap this thing up. Number one, choose forgiveness over bitterness. Choose forgiveness over bitterness. It's a choice. It's something we get to choose. You need to understand this. Our vertical relationship with Jesus determines our horizontal relationship with other people. I'm gonna say that again. Our vertical relationship with Jesus determines our horizontal relationship with other people. If this ain't good, this can't be good. And if this ain't good, it's a reflection of this. That was a good place to say amen. Hebrews 12, 15 says, Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. Listen to me. Satan loves bitter believers. He don't mind you being a believer. He just going to try his best to get you bitter. Amen? Amen? Forgiveness is not trust. You don't earn forgiveness, but you do earn trust. So don't mix it up. Don't say just because I forgive somebody means that I automatically have to trust them. No, just like Henry Cloud says, it's brick by brick by brick. Trust is something that's earned. It's rebuilt. And listen to me. There's never a time in your life that you look more like Jesus than when you're able to forgive somebody for hurting you. Amen? Number two, choose trust over suspicion. Choose trust over suspicion. Can I tell you suspicion is an expression of rejection? Oh, this is the hardest part of forgiving somebody. Come on, I stepped on a nail right there. This is the hardest part in forgiving somebody is that you don't become suspicious. Suspicious. I've seen too many marriages where one person breaks the trust of the marriage, but they both decide to try to make it work. And the one that the trust was broken on, if they're not careful, become so suspicious that the relationship can never be restored. Because suspicion is an expression of rejection. Get you some of that. When you're suspicious of people, you're basically telling them, I don't trust you. When what needs to happen is there needs to be some open communication that says, hey, what can I do to help build trust back in our relationship? Tell me if I do something that makes you nervous. Tell me if I do something that gets you on the edge of your seat. Please help me to help rebuild the the trust in this life, in our our relationship, in our marriage. Are you seeing this? Open communication. Communication is the key to relationships, y'all. I broke trust. Listen, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Okay, I forgive you. Now, would you help me to rebuild trust? Would you tell me or communicate to me when I do something that makes you nervous? make making sense? Choose trust over suspicion. Number three, choose healing over hurting. Choose healing over hurting. You see, you can live with scars, but you can't live with wounds. You can live with scars, but you can't live with open wounds. Jeremiah 614 from the the living Bible says, you can't heal a wound by saying it's not there. Whatever you come clean to God with is what God can heal in your life. If you're suspicious, Lord, I'm suspicious. If you're having a hard time trusting people, Lord, I'm really having a hard time trusting this person. Will you help me? You seeing it? God can't heal what you don't reveal. Time can rebuild, but time can't heal. You see it in the life of Joseph. Only Jesus can heal. Amen? Only Jesus can heal. I think about this story and I'm just blown away by all the things that God does. How every time Joseph felt like he was being knocked down, he was actually being repositioned closer to his destination. And I go, wow, what an amazing story. How amazing is it that after all this time and all this trouble that his brothers caused him, and when they're standing in front of him, he can lovingly restore the relationship, go back into the relationship with them with no grudges. How amazing. But can I tell you the story is not over? Because you see, Joseph had a trusting problem. But somebody else had a trusting problem too. It was Jacob. You remember the verse in chapter 37? It's right at the end of chapter 37 where Jacob finds out that his son was killed. The Bible says he rips his clothes and he goes into a position of repentance and mourning And they try to comfort him. And every time they try to comfort him, he says, I will go to my grave mourning the loss of my son. Remember, this was the son that he put his trust in. It was lost. His trust was taken from him. Are you seeing this? That's where we find Jacob at. And now Jacob, when he says, I will mourn the death of my son until my grave basically stops living in that moment. And we pick the story up in chapter 46. I'm going to finish it up right here. The brothers go back, tell Jacob that Joseph is still alive. Jacob's heart, if you actually back up to chapter 45, verse 27, it says, but when they repeated to Jacob everything Joseph had told them, and when he saw the wagons Joseph had sent to carry him, their father's spirits was revived. His spirit was revived. In other words, it needed to be revived. And he made this statement. It must be true. My son Joseph is alive. I must go and see him before I die. Verse 1, chapter 46. So Jacob set out for Egypt with all his possessions. And when he came to Beersheba, he offered sacrifices to the God of of his father Isaac. During the night, God spoke to him in a vision. Listen to how God speaks to Jacob. Jacob, Jacob, he called. Watch this, verse 3. I am God, the God of your father. Doesn't that sound like a reintroduction? Doesn't it sound like God's reintroducing himself back to Jacob again? Could it be possible that when Jacob lost his son, he lost his faith in God? Could it be possible when when his son, the one that he trusted, was taken from him, that he decided to step back from what God's plans were for him? Could it be that he was broken himself? Could it be that he had a trust problem with God? I am God. The God of your father is how God reintroduces himself to Jacob. Now watch this. do not be afraid to go down to Egypt for there I will make your family into a great nation. I will go with you down to Egypt and I will bring you back again. But you will die in Egypt with Joseph attending to you. Wow. You see, Joseph had a trust problem. Jacob had a trust problem too. You ever lose something? You ever have something happen to you or to somebody that you love? And you kind of felt like, where were you at, God? How could you let this happen? I bet Jacob said to God one day, how could you let my son be taken from me? How could you let this happen? And it's okay to express that. Can I just tell you this morning? It's okay to ask that question. It's okay to express that. It's just not okay to stay there. Jacob stayed there. I will go to my grave mourning the loss of my son is what he said. There's things that happen to us that you can't even describe how bad it hurts, but it hurts bad. And if you're not careful, you questioned God. How can a good God let this happen to me? And if you're not careful, you'll quit living. Which means that you quit trusting God. But you see, just because you can't see and understand what's going to happen in the future, doesn't give you permission to quit trusting God. Just because you can't see what the end looks like, doesn't mean that you get permission to quit trusting God again. Oh, you got to hear this this morning because some of you, you're waiting and you're waiting and you're waiting for God to restore something in you. You're waiting for God to heal you. You're waiting for God to turn something around. And in the in the waiting is the hardest time. It's the moment where you go through the hardest struggle. It's the moment where God tests your heart and God sees your emotions and God sees how much you trust him. It's in the waiting, y'all. It's in the waiting where where the rubber meets the road. Come on, your faith don't get tested until it has to wait. Can you trust God to the end no matter what it looks like right now? Can you trust him to the end no matter what it looks like right now? I'm blown away by how well God restores things. I'm blown away by how he can take something that was completely dead and make it brand new. Improved. Not just like it used to be. Improved.